naked on a sandy shore, the tide coming in. Jolted awake, he had reached for Ahmed's dream key and read that if a man dreamed of his wife naked, he would see her grave. Isaac and his family pulled their cart past a grove of olive trees, beyond which rose the high wall enclosing the property of the Studion Monastery. Isaac halted by an iron gate surmounted by a double eagle, then felt his way along the wall until he came to a low door. He took out a key, recently oiled, and inserted it into the lock. To his relief, it turned easily. He edged the door open, careful not to make a sound. His son unloaded the cart, and ducking under the lintel, passed everything inside to his father. Isaac noticed the palms of his hands were stained black by rust, as if the door were already covered in blood. The family crouched low and hurried through the monastery garden to a small chapel. Isaac whispered instructions to his son, a young man of twenty, who crept back through the garden to get the rest of their belongings. They slipped out of the chapel toward the crypt, a square hole in the ground covered by an iron grate. As they left, Isaac passed his finger through the chapel's holy spring and anointed his daughter's forehead. Beside the crypt, he kept an anxious eye on the caretaker's quarters, a cottage built against the wall at the other end of the garden. The monastery was quiet. All the monks were in the main church. He could hear the rhythmic drone of their voices, praying for deliverance. His son lifted the grate, and Isaac made his way gingerly down the steps, his eyes useless in the dark, hands groping for the passage he knew to be there. The air was cool, and the walls wept with damp. Isaac's fingers felt along the slick stone, stumbling into burial niches, until they found the cleft hidden at the far end of the crypt behind a massive sarcophagus. He pulled himself through, and his son followed with their belongings. Deep under the earth they lit torches. Isaac returned to the garden to help his wife down the stairs, then lowered his daughter into the crypt, pressing his hand over her mouth to stifle her protests. There was a commotion below, then silence. Isaac took a last breath of the cool night air and spent a moment to consider the cold blanket of stars that would as soon crown a Muslim city as a Christian one, then moved back underground. Behind the cleft, a tunnel led to an iron door. Isaac pushed it open. This cistern has a passageway that goes under the city wall right to the sea, he explained to his family, their frightened faces looming in the weak light of the flares. The boat is docked by the Golden Gate, not far. He hoped they would not be too late. He had remained in the city until the last minute, waiting for his partnership, for a reprieve, for the promised Venetian fleet to arrive and rout the Turks. A scrap of air tore at the flame of Isaac's torch as he stepped inside the cistern. Stone columns rose about him, textured by marks of ancient chisels. High above, invisible beyond the arc of torchlight, was a ceiling of vaulted domes. He could just make out the glimmer of white marble, hints of their ornate capitals, and he wondered who had constructed these elaborate underground cathedrals that held the city's water supply— had they given refuge to the earliest Byzantines when they too were under siege? How else to explain the warren of tunnels that connected the cisterns to churches and to the palace and burrowed secretly under the city walls to the shore? Isaac breathed in the musty odour of decay. 
Below the tiled platform on which he stood, a lake of water receded into the darkness, rocking shards of light from his torch. Water born in the mountains and brought overland by the aqueduct to serve the monastery. He checked to make sure the rowboats were there, tied up to the platform. As father and son laboured to carry the bundles into the cavernous room, one of the sacks fell open, revealing a gold plate, a ruby-studded chalice, and a gold incense burner. Isaac squatted down, and propping his torch against a pillar, opened the sack he was carrying. He spread a clean cloth on the tiles, then took out a purple velvet bundle, heavily embroidered in gold. He undid the gold braid that tied it, revealing a simple silver gilt box, one hand's breadth wide and too long. He regarded the reliquary with awe. It was the reason he was here, and not manning the ramparts alongside Constantine the Eleventh.